This is Hubwonk. I'm your host, Joe Salvaggi. Welcome to Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston. Long the wealthiest state in per capita income, Connecticut has seen a deep reversal of fortune in the past decades. Before the implementation of its first income tax in 1991, Connecticut had more in common with income tax-free New Hampshire as a low-cost alternative to high-tax states such as New York and Massachusetts. Despite a promise that constitutional spending caps would provide a check on spending, Connecticut lawmakers have since voted to raise income taxes four times, while state spending has increased 174% over the rate of inflation. The unintended consequence of this dramatic shift in policy has been to see the Constitution state fall to 49th in private sector wage gains and 48th in private sector employment gains, being among only three U.S. states to not recover to pre-Great Recession employment levels. My guest today is Chris DiPantima, President and CEO of the Connecticut Business and Industry Association. CBIA, as it's known, started in 1805, is Connecticut's largest business organization with thousands of member companies, small and large, representing a diverse range of industries from every part of the state. Mr. DePentima also chairs the Connecticut Manufacturers Collaborative and represented the state at the National Governor's Policy Academy for Best Practices in Manufacturing. Chris will share with us his views on the Connecticut economy and policy outlook and give us an account of what his members see as the biggest challenges to growth. Our discussion can offer Massachusetts voters and policymakers insight into our own best path forward, preserving a thriving state economy. When I return, I'll be joined by CBIA President and CEO, Chris DiPentino. Okay, we're back. This is Hubwonk. I'm Joe Silvaggi, and I'm now joined by Christy Pentima, President and CEO of the Connecticut Business and Industry Association. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks, Joe. It's great to be on. Now, Chris, I introduced our show by quoting some surprising statistics from a recently released Pioneer Institute research paper entitled Connecticut's Dangerous Game, How the Nation's Wealthiest State Scared Off Businesses and Worsened Its Fiscal Crisis. The paper uses data and analysis to tell a story of uh, some of the challenges that Connecticut has been facing for the last, say, three decades. Uh, But I'm excited to have you on the show, Chris, to tell us more from a firsthand experience, uh, essentially, what is going on in Connecticut? Well, let me tell you, Joe, I I bring a unique perspective to this because I've been with CBIA for six, about six months and CBIA, the Connecticut Business and Industry Association. We have you know thousands of members in our organization across Connecticut, about a half a million employees working for those members. But before joining CBIA, um, I led, I owned a business in Connecticut for uh, 15 years, a manufacturing, uh, family-owned manufacturing business that my father had started and then sold it about five years ago to an S&P 500 company based in Missouri that I stayed on and uh, ran the Connecticut facility as well as facilities in the West Coast and over in France. So I was a business owner as Connecticut went through some of the things described in the pioneer studies. So I'll I'll happily bring uh, both perspectives uh, to the table today, if that's okay with you. And, um, you know, if we rewind history, and again, as I said, you know, learning from history, not necessarily rehashing it, but learning from what went wrong to, to do things differently in the future. And I think we started to do that in Connecticut. We could talk about that later on. 
the main thing that went wrong in Connecticut was, um, you know, we had decades of, I'll say, complacency when we were a very strong state back in the 70s and 80s, where we didn't do some of the things we, in hindsight, should have, like funding pensions, fully funding pensions and teacher pensions and state employee pensions so that they didn't become these massive unfunded liabilities that we have today, really investing in the future rather than the short term of today. Um, and as a result of that, as we started to get into, uh, you know, the 2000s and then, of course, the recession hitting us, uh, Connecticut was faced with massive uh, budget deficits. And what did we do as a state? Uh, you know, what did we try to do as a state? We tried to fill that hole by raising taxes uh, multiple times, as the study talks about, and I'm sure we'll go into details. And I just give folks the analogy that Connecticut, we had a hole because of the complacency, because of what we did wrong for decades past. We tried to fill the hole with, by raising taxes. And what did that do? That actually made the hole deeper. And did we learn from the first time that we raised taxes in 2011? Nope. In 2015, we went back and said, we've got a hole. Let's try it again. We made the hole even deeper. Um, and that's you know the simple analogy I give folks to, to why we ended up in this massive mess. And it wasn't just a hole, Joe. I think your report does a great job, or the Pioneer Report does a great job. It wasn't just the one that impacted the business community and drove businesses away and drove the jobs away and drove the people who were associated with those jobs out of the state. It really impacted every resident in Connecticut. We ended up lagging the, the nation in personal economic growth. We ended up lagging the nation in job creation. And so if you're a resident of Connecticut, you're sitting in a state where you're, where you're thinking, well, my income isn't growing like the rest of the country is. I'm not, I don't have career opportunities like I do maybe in some of the other areas of the country, including some neighboring states. And uh, it just ended up kind of causing this spiral. Oh, you, you brought up uh, the the recession as sort of a, a the hole becoming deeper or an opportunity uh, for Connecticut to make that hole deeper. I was uh, startled by a, a particular statistic in the Pioneer paper that since before the uh, Great Recession, 2008, um, since that time, the U.S. job number has grown by 10%. Massachusetts has grown by 11.5%. Connecticut has shrunk from that time by 1%. Now you're a manufacturing, uh, you have, a, have had a firm in manufacturing, you're head of a large organization. What mechanism, what is the precise mechanism that, that drives jobs away? Um, which taxes, which experience, which decisions by leaders like you uh, uh, cause job growth to slow? Yeah, the reason why it was just so lagging in Connecticut going up to the pandemic um, is you know you got to remember in Connecticut we have a lot of small businesses right we have about a hundred thousand businesses in Connecticut about 1.5 million folks employed so if you do just a simple math that the average size business is about 15 people and the majority of our small businesses are past entities um, so they're extremely vulnerable when you see income tax hikes like we saw in 11 and 15 and you know like I said I ran one of those past through entities. And so, you know, we, we think, oh, we're taxing the wealthy or we're taxing the big businesses. But in reality, we end up just really devastating and crushing those small businesses, those pass-through entities. And that not only causes it to be more expensive to do business, but now all of a sudden you get, you know, consumer confidence or business confidence, if you will, right? Erosion. Um, and I've said for a long time that uncertainty is the enemy of businesses. So the uncertainty of a business whether there's going to be another tax hike and when we have another fiscal crisis or we need to finally handle it differently, that starts to erode confidence. And that's when you see either businesses uh, either leaving the state or really what really happened in Connecticut is they'll maybe stop even growing in the state and open up 
um, sister locations in other parts of the country and other parts of the world. And then those areas are kind of the growth areas. And Connecticut's your, your headquarter, but it's your flat area. It doesn't see as much growth. In addition, as we talked, the personal effect on the residents um, is that uh, you know those folks consider leaving as well because they're not seeing the job opportunities or the personal income growth in Connecticut that we, we should have saw as we came out of the Great Recession uh, in 10 and 11 and, and obviously uh, drove towards 2019-20, uh, which in most states were, were record growth times. Uh, we, we didn't see that. We, we saw 1% fewer jobs in Connecticut, and, and that had a major impact. You mentioned lots and lots of small companies deciding either not to grow or perhaps to leave. I want to bring attention to two of the the more high profile large companies that, in fact, packed up and moved north. Uh, we're talking about uh, GE and uh, Alexian Pharmaceuticals. They're right here in South Boston, um, not far from where I'm recording now. Uh, we know they didn't pack up and come for the weather. Um, we're just as cold. <laughs> we're getting the snow, same snow you are right now. In the past, Massachusetts hasn't been notorious for being a tax haven. Uh, our old uh, uh, ignominiously named uh, nickname was Taxachusetts. We've uh, brought things in a little bit. We've reduced our uh, income tax uh, from 6.25 to now 5%. Is that enough? Do you think that's what brought um, uh, those firms from Connecticut to Boston? I, I know you can't speak for them, but uh, what have you heard from the larger firms? Yeah, I, I think there was a few things at play there, Joe. I mean, certainly the things we talked about, um, the uncertainty of, you know, doing business in Connecticut, will, you know, what, will we always address fiscal issues with tax increases, tax increases, and tax increases? Um, the other thing that came to play that we, we saw with those tax increases was really just a lack of a bipartisan working government. Um, you know, we, we had democratic control in, in all three, you know, the executive branch and the Senate and in the House. Um, but what, even if you had Republican control, you know, you still need that bipartisan working, those diversity of ideas that come together. And, and we just didn't see that uh, in 11 and 15. We finally, as a state, saw that in 2017. So here's a lesson learned. In 2017, we finally got, for the first time in a decade, a working bipartisan state budget, right? Republicans and Democrats, even though the Republicans were minority, came together with the Democrats and worked out some modest fiscal reforms. I think if people at the time looked at it and said, yeah, okay, there's some little things happening here, but nothing major. What's it resulted in? It resulted in a much stronger spending cap for Connecticut, which has created our record rainy day fund that we have today. And as a result, we actually have a budget surplus coming out of you know the COVID pandemic as a result of this 2017 bipartisan state budget, as well as obviously federal monies coming in and Wall Street doing well, I don't wanna just say. But the bipartisan state budget in 17 laid that groundwork. That's what those businesses that left Connecticut wanted to see back from 2009 to 2000 and whatever day they left, you know, to 2017. That, Joe, was a watershed moment, I think, in Connecticut, not so much for the result, but the fact that two parties finally worked together on a, on a major issue. And that's what businesses want to see. The other thing that happened, Joe, back then, keep in mind. In Connecticut, we started to play a very dangerous game uh, under the prior administration. We started to play this game of recruiting businesses into Connecticut by offering money, right? You know, Matthew, you heard about First Five, became First 15 in Connecticut, which was Connecticut trying to find these large companies who weren't in Connecticut and lure them through massive incentives. And, and I know Boston, Massachusetts gave GE some massive incentives as well, which maybe haven't generated the return on investment of job creation necessary. Um, 
But we were doing that quite a bit under the prior administration in Connecticut. And as a result, when you do that, it's like running a business and telling the employees that work for you, you're important, but really the most important are those employees who I don't have today. And I'm going to really try to lure them here. And I think that sours company like GE and Alexion, when when you're, you then go to the table and say, okay, this is what I need to stay. And maybe it's not as rich as what was offered to some companies that were recruited to Connecticut. Um, and I'll tell you, since then, in hindsight, our members have told us, you know, Connecticut would have been much better off spending those hundreds of million dollars instead of recruiting businesses to Connecticut to invest in Connecticut, invest in our infrastructure and transportation in our urban areas where we're trying to invest today, because those are just natural recruitment and retention things um, that we could do here in the state. And, and Joe, I'll give you one one insight. Sorry, I'm going on about this one, but oh, that's good. I, I had a first row uh, seat for the GE departure, just so you know. That, the day it was announced, uh, the Governor Malloy had a press conference in my old facility. And why did he do that? Because at the time, GE Aviation was my largest customer at, at the manufacturing place that I ran. And GE Aviation at the time was spending hundreds of millions of dollars in the state of Connecticut, because Connecticut has a very robust manufacturing supply chain. But that doesn't make the headline as much as a departing company does. Sure. So you talk about a watershed moment uh, that Connecticut is turning the ship around, perhaps. I don't know if you want to go that far. Uh, but let's give uh, our listeners a little bit of a, um, a history lesson. As far back as, uh, or as recently as 1991, you didn't have an income tax at all. In 1991, it was supposed to have been a modest income tax increase with spending caps, constitutionally bound spending caps to, to keep spending in check. Um, I don't want to uh, ask you to give us a, a thorough history lesson, but what happened since 1991? We know we have four increases in uh, income tax. Uh, what else was going on? H- how did that How did that evolve? A massive state spending, Joe. So if you just look at some simple graphs around uh, the 1991 uh, to where we are today, right? Spending at the state level increased 200%, far outstripping the population growth that we saw, the income growth that we saw, and the rate of inflation. So it wasn't just natural inflation growth that, uh, that was spending that was occurring. It was, it was spending. Again, we were maybe complacent as a state and thought we were doing great. Everything's are going well. Our annual budget was seven billion dollars in 1991 versus 21 billion dollars today. Um, and and as a result of that massive spending, that's that's kind of what you know got us in this hole. And we didn't address structural issues. We didn't address adequately funding the state employee retirement uh, benefits that I mentioned. Uh, and that drove this never-ending cycle of budget deficits, tax increases, more budget deficits, more tax increases, eroding competitiveness and eroding uh, confidence of both the business community and, and the residents. Uh, I want to one uh, one piece of the Pioneer's paper that really stuck out for me. Uh, they quoted uh, then Governor Malloy, uh, the 2015, the most recent tax increase. He called it a uh, his spokesman called it a quote historic investment unquote financed by tapping the state the state's richest families and companies. Uh, then just two years later, uh, he had a change of heart and um, and opposed, that same governor, opposed tax increases. Uh, what do you think was his, uh, I don't know what you would call it, the road to Damascus moment, or what changed his mind that tax increases weren't really the answer to uh, to the fiscal problems? He, he saw the result, and, and we saw them, you know, we've seen them since then. He saw the result that, okay, I thought I was going to do a one-time tax increase. It, it, it was going to fill this hole that we talked about, and we as a state would move on. Uh, we would never have to do something like this again because it was, you know, a record tax increase. It was it just massive. It hit everybody in the state and it didn't work. Right. It, and that's the learning from history part. You have to learn, OK, you tried something. You, we pulled one of the levers that are available to us when we have a fiscal crisis. 
And did it work or did it not work? Well, in Connecticut, as we mentioned, Joe, and the, the study mentioned, we pulled that lever multiple times and we now have learned it has not worked. And as a result, our current governor has come out just recently, you know, a week ago at one of our economic summits saying he opposes broad-based tax hikes. And for the last two years, he has fought tax hikes. Um, and, and fortunately for us, we, we've had two years of surpluses. We're still got out years of fiscal issues that we've got to deal with, deal with, but it's nice and finally not be, you know, uh, really slapped in the face with massive billion dollar deficit uh, that we have to face in the current fiscal year. Now, we've talked a lot about income tax, or I guess uh, in the case of pass-through um, uh, corporate taxes that ultimately become income taxes. Um, you also have a, an estate tax. Uh, you're one of only 11 states to have one. Um, and that may have an effect on the outflow of people. In fact, well, one of the, the statistics cited in the Pioneer paper is that you have the highest per capita migration loss among high-income earners. Uh, do you think the um, the presence or the lowering of the cap of the uh, estate tax has an influence on your outflow of high in, high income residents? Oh yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. It's it's, it's a tax hike that we've opposed at CBIA in the past. Um, again, going back to the size of our businesses in Connecticut, it's relatively small, average fifteen employees, but also most are family owned firms, right? And so you're trying to work on a succession plan to keep your business, your legacy business, in your families. And now we've got an estate tax that you've got to deal with. Like only one of 11 states that have an estate tax. And that's really disincentivizing you from keeping your business operations you know, within the state so that you can transfer it to the next generation. And that's when you're, when you're surrounded by a lot of family businesses, you need to be more friendly to those small family-owned businesses. And in Connecticut, we, we, we shifted that with the, you know, continuing with the estate tax. It's something we need to continue to look at at repealing. We want to be, you know, we, we have a lot of family businesses. Now we want to nurture those family businesses so they can pass that wealth on to the generations and generations, keep those jobs in the state, keep growing in the state. So I feel like I've been piling on uh, Connecticut here and we've talked a lot about bad statistics. And I know, of course, you're in a difficult uh, situation in that you're an advocate for Connecticut businesses and uh, want to perhaps lure some of our Massachusetts businesses towards towards Connecticut. So I want to give you a chance to, to talk about what um, what positive trends we've talked about some of those, uh, I guess we could characterize those as you stop digging the hole deeper, right? Um, uh, so set aside, let's assume there's a little more stability and a little more agreement and comedy between Democrats and, and Republicans in the legislature. What are some of the positive trends that your businesses who are now essentially perhaps trying to grow or at least not considering leaving. Um, what are some of the positive trends that you see and what would, what additional trends would you like to see in the future? You know, interestingly enough, Joe, I, I, the optimism that I'm seeing right now in Connecticut is, is as high as I've seen it in a, in a really, really long time. Maybe we've gotten out of the shadow of uh, we're a terrible place and this is the only way we're ever going to solve anything is tax increases. Uh, you know, we, we have called COVID kind of a restart for Connecticut. The, the governor has called it. Um, you know, we, we said we need to reimagine the state. The governor has said we need to rewrite our narrative. We need this is the year of Connecticut's comeback. And as a result of a much, much stronger public private partnership. So the business community uh, working with government to try to address, you know, solutions to issues we have going back to the spring when COVID obviously crushed all of us, every state, every country in the world. Uh, the thing, first thing the governor did was create a reopening group, which was a public-private group. So some folks in, in government, uh, a lot of folks in the private sector coming together and saying, you know, which industries should we be shutting down? Which ones can we keep open? 
And as a result of that, Connecticut has recovered 63% of the jobs that we lost in March and April due to COVID compared to just 54% across the kind of national average and, and Massachusetts has only recovered 49%. So we're you know, working together with government rather than against each other. And that has a lot of credit goes to the current governor who as you know, is a business person, Governor Lamont came out of the business sector. And not only did he come out, if you look at a lot of the leaders in his administration, they came from the business sector, whether it's his chief operating officer who was in the IT sector, or we created the, the first uh, chief manufacturing officer in the country. That position is a private sector person. Office of Workforce Strategy is a private sector person. Commissioner Lehman, our DECD, Economic and Community Development Commissioner, is a private sector person who came to the public sector. As a result of that, we've come out of this pandemic uh, much stronger than a lot of the other states. Our vaccine rollout is going better than most other states. And again, that's a public-private partnership. We have a vaccine committee, which I happen to sit on, a 20-person uh, committee, which is a combination of, again, again the government and the private sector. Um, so we're, we're really bullish on the state. We, we, we have a surplus this year, as I mentioned. Um, uh, granted, part of it's federal dollars coming in. However, it's Wall Street doing well, so we still have a structural systemic issue that we've got to address. But we have a huge opportunity in front of us in Connecticut because we're going to have a record number of state employees eligible for retirement this year and next year. And there's an opportunity to maybe not backfill some of those positions or backfill them with automation and technology uh, so that we can still deliver great state services, if not better state services, but actually lowering the cost of government and, uh, and finally funding some of our long-term liabilities. So uh, we're really really bullish on Connecticut. There's a lot of opportunity in front of us. We need to learn from the history, as we mentioned. That's why you know, I wanted to come on today and say, hey, here's the thing that happened in the past. It's not to be negative, but it's to remind ourselves of that. You know, We burned our hand on the stove a couple of times before. Let's not do that again. And I'm really excited that generally here in Connecticut, people are, are looking forward to a, a new way of running government and, and running the state. And I think it's going to be great for our residents. You said earlier in the show that uh, predictability is the key element of uh, oh, this is what businesses want. Uh, no surprises, right? Um, given that you think you've uh, essentially put uh, or helped to put Connecticut back on the right track, are there particular industries or what do you see as your uh, your future? What will Connecticut be known for? I, I, I would personally put like finance and insurance at the you know in the top. Uh, is is manufacturing coming back? You come from a manufacturing background. What what will Connecticut look like in twenty years for its for a profile of its economy? Yeah, that's you know that's the other thing that we've done well is I, I think we were all in on just a couple industries three or four decades ago, thirty or forty years ago. Right? You mentioned uh, the health insurance, financial services. Uh, we we rode the uh, the former United Technologies, now Raytheon, headquartered right. in Boston, but we still have a large presence of them here in Connecticut with Pratt and Whitney and Collins Aerospace, we, we rode those three sectors very hard. We have since Connecticut diversified, we still ride those three sectors, but biopharmaceutical has, has been blossoming. Uh, you know, We have Pfizer obviously headquartered in Boston, but uh, we have a great location in Groton. Uh, you mentioned Alexion, and we have a huge network of biopharmaceutical companies uh, in the New Haven area of Connecticut. Uh, logistics and warehousing, something that's not as appetizing in Massachusetts or New York because of the cost of property and and building construction in those states, whereas Connecticut actually is a is a lower cost state for those logistics and warehousing. So we've seen massive growth of Amazon, UPS, FedEx, and their supply chain here in Connecticut. And um, you know those are two the biopharmaceutical and that industry are two along with manufacturing. Manufacturing we've seen some 
good numbers. I mean, we, we expect to see a much bigger job loss in 2020. Manufacturing lost 1.9% of its jobs in 2020 in Connecticut. And that's critical because going into COVID, there was about 13,000 open manufacturing jobs in Connecticut. We were having a hard time filling them uh, because of our workforce training programs just getting off the ground. Now we've continued to put on the pedal with workforce training. So when we come out of this and manufacturers start to hire again, um, and some of them are hiring like Electric Bow and Sikorsky who are in the defense manufacturing sector, uh, we're gonna be able to fill those jobs. So that's really exciting. Um, we're um, getting close to the end of our show. So I wanna ask some broader questions. Uh, you're a Connecticut, uh, head of a Connecticut business organization, but your fellow um, uh, New England state, I hope you uh, consider yourself part of New England and perhaps, I don't know, one foot in the tri-state area, one foot in New England. Uh, is there a cooperation? Is there sort of a, a joint um, effort uh, amongst New England states to encourage businesses to consider New England as a destination for, for their development? Do, are any of the efforts between Massachusetts and Connecticut coordinated to, uh, for our mutual benefit? Yeah, I absolutely consider myself a New Englander, Joe. I went to Boston <laughs> College. So I lived All right, in, well, then good. I, I lived right. in Boston will, for four years. Do I dare ask a Yanks or Red Sox? Or, uh, where I'm are a Yankee. We? I'm oh, a no, okay. Okay, I, I might have to. Uh, center okay. field of Yankee Stadium. <laughs> okay, all right. So I was one of the two Boston College Eagles, uh, guys who was rooting for the Yankees and the Giants back in the day, but uh, I'm still an Eagle, still have season tickets up there and uh, considered myself a New Englander. And, and one of the reasons I wanted to come on here is, is to teach, you know, we're not competitors with each other. We're competitors with maybe the Southeast or the Southwest of the nation. Quite honestly, you know, Joe, I run companies in France and other regions of the world. We're competitors with other regions of the world. So it's kind of sharing those best practices or worst practices in some cases uh, with you, know, you folks in Massachusetts and other states and, and New England about lessons that we can learn. And I think there's huge opportunities for more regional working. And we've seen it during COVID, obviously the state's trying to get together to figure out the fact that COVID doesn't uh, really acknowledge state borders and how can we work together as states. Uh, if we got a whole bunch of bars open in Massachusetts, our you know, Connecticut population is gonna run across there. We're seeing it with, you know, sports gambling and marijuana legalization of marijuana probably coming up on the agenda this year for our legislation because it's around us. Um, we've seen it with Governor Lamont's uh, proposal to uh, support uh, transportation and climate change initiative, which was started by Governor Baker, really, up in Massachusetts and Rhode Island uh, supported as well. And this is a, an initiative to address climate change, but also to partially fund transportation infrastructure, which we have some much needed funding in Connecticut. We need to understand more about that. I mean, it's probably going to be a gas price increase in some way. So whether it's the right thing to do or not, um, it is a regional solution to both the environment and funding transportation. So I, I think there's more we can do around recruiting folks to the Northeast. We've started to do more of that in Connecticut. Little Connecticut, you think we're all working together. Well, we have 169 separate towns that really are individual fiefdoms. And we've had to break down those silos over the past decade, Joe, so that the regions start to work together, whether it's the Hartford region or the New Haven region or the Southeast region, Southwest region, on recruiting businesses rather than the state, the towns all fighting against themselves. And I agree with you. I think we need to do that on a regional basis, uh, you know, across the Northeast, because uh, we all have the same high costs of doing business. We all have the same high cost labor, but we all both all have great labor forces. We have great companies here in the Northeast. We all have the weather uh, climate issues that we have to deal with, like the snowy days today. Uh, so there's opportunities to work together. And my background is all about collaboration and bringing folks together to develop the best solution, the best ideas, rather than trying to solve them in a, in a silo. And this is what our governor has done. He, he realizes he's not the smartest guy in the room. He's surrounded himself with people to try to address those solutions. 
Many of our listeners are uh, business owners themselves. Uh, they probably like what they hear. I hope they do. Um, so if they uh, are considering Connecticut as a, a place to expand, uh, where, what are their first steps? Do they reach out to you, Chris? Or um, where, what, what does, what's the first step in, in understanding uh, what Connecticut can offer uh, a new business? Yeah, we're, we're happy to do it. Uh, we don't, we're not charged with economic development at CBIA, but we'll, we'll put them in touch with the right folks. So they could reach out to me, chris.dpentima at cbia.com or go to our CBIA website and just drop drop a question in our uh, cbia.com website. They could also reach out to Commissioner David Lehman at our Department of Economic and Community Development, DECD. Uh, and, and obviously, there's a lot of economic uh, retention and recruitment that we do for businesses uh, that are looking to come into the state or look for businesses that have locations in the state. There's plenty of Massachusetts businesses that may have some footprint in Connecticut. That's great. And did you offer your, uh, I, I'm not sure you had your website on there. I, you had your email, which I think is great. Your, was your website on there? Did you? Yep. CBIA.com if they want. C-B-I-A. And they can drop a okay. Dot com. Okay, great. All right. Well, thank you very much, Chris. This has been uh, very informative. I hope uh, we didn't start off in, on too negative a foot. You turned it around nicely and defended uh, uh, Connecticut and the business environment very, very well. I, I, I think our listeners got a lot out of this, uh, this uh, conversation. Happy to be on, Joe. Come back anytime. Listen, the light's at the end of the tunnel with this vaccine. We're all looking forward to, to getting back to normal and some economic growth in Connecticut and the Northeast. I hope so. Thank you very much. This has been another episode of Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute. If you enjoyed today's show, there are several ways to support us. It would be easier for you and better for us if you subscribe to Hubwonk. You can give us a five-star rating or a favorable review. Of course, it would be great if you share it with friends. If you have questions for me or comments or ideas about future episodes, you can contact me at hubwonk at pioneerinstitute.org. Please join me next week for a new episode of Hubwonk.